Hello, everybody, and welcome to another one of our financial well-being podcasts. My name is David Lloyd. Uh, I do some writing. I do a bit of acting. So, Chris, who are you? I'm Chris Budd, uh, author of the Financial Wellbeing book, after which this podcast is named, and I run Ovation Finance, a financial planning company in Bristol. And quite chuffed this week, David, because one of my great loves in life is cricket. The Gloucestershire Cricket Club I've been a member of for many, many years, and one of the things we talk about that gives wellbeing is philanthropy, and I've got enormous wellbeing this week because Ovation has been responsible for the Jesse May Trust, Uh, We've heard from Jesse May on a previous podcast about philanthropy. Uh, They are going to be the main charity for Gloucestershire Cricket Club and the front of shirt sponsor for the four-day game. So I'm really pleased that we were able to bring those two wonderful organisations together. Oh, that is brilliant uh, because um, Jesse May, as we've talked about before, very deserving charity do a lot of great work in Bristol. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. And the other thing I've enjoyed this week is... um, as you know, uh, I play guitar in a, in a band, in a party band, and we've been looking for a keyboard player for quite a long time, and we finally found one. The only trouble is uh, he can't rehearse on Tuesdays because he's got scouts. This would be a young person, I think. <laughs> it would indeed. It's my son. My son has joined our band, is playing keyboard, doing really, really well. But um, one of the joys in life, uh, I've been told for many years, is playing cricket with your kids. And I had that pleasure last year with my daughter. And then I've discovered a new one, playing in a band with your son. What fun. Absolutely fantastic. Well done, Chris, and well done, George, as well. Thank you. What a musical family you are. <laughs> well, they had no damn choice. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to chat about today, Chris? Well, we're going to hear the second part of my chat with Carl Richards, and he's going to be talking about how humans invest. He's got some really interesting and unusual ideas, well, unusual but but correct in my view, ideas about how we go about looking at investments. So a very interesting starting point to this is the notion of confirmation bias, uh, which is a concept I hadn't come across until... Um, about a year ago on Twitter when somebody pointed out that Twitter is full of confirmation bias. Tell us then what confirmation bias means. Confirmation bias is when you believe something to be true and you seek out information to confirm that it's true. So rather than uh, believing something to be true and then looking at all the information to assess whether that is correct or not, that's not what we tend to do. We tend to only seek out opinions that agree with ours. So it's uh, if you have a very fixed view on something, uh, this suggests that you are less likely to want to change that view. It does. And it, actually, most of our views, I think, are fixed. And this is important for financial planning, financial well-being, because we're trying to create a path to long-term objectives, and we're trying to work out what we want from life in order to spend our money on getting that. Well, in order to work out what you want from life, we need to be challenged. We need to be open-minded. And we're not. (laughs) Well, we're not always good at challenging ourselves, are we? So we have our fixed ideas. And as you say, I'm sure we're all guilty of then looking to find a set of circumstances that confirms our beliefs. Yes, exactly. So do you think a good financial planner or an advisor is there to perhaps challenge some of those beliefs? I I may be a little bit biased in this, but yes, (laughs) absolutely. It could just be a third party like a friend. But a financial planner, especially one with some coaching skills and training, will be really key to helping people unlock a potential future. Not to make too big deal about that future, but just to think about different ideas about what we want. 
we have so many assumptions in what we think the future needs to hold for us and actually breaking free of that is really hard and confirmation bias is one of the things that stops us. The problem with that though and I'm sure you must have come across this in your working life is that the more fixed those ideas are, the more resistant to them being challenged uh, we can be. Absolutely. And, and there's loads of studies on this. It, it particularly works in investing as well, that if you've made an investment into a share, people tend to hold on to that share no matter what happens because they don't want to be proven wrong. Another interesting one might be the Brexit debate. Now, we're not going to get into the whys and wherefores of the debate, but the one thing that characterised the Brexit debates was that nobody knew what they were talking about. (laughs) There were no facts on either side. And yet we still hold deeply entrenched positions, even though we don't know what we're talking about. A very good point indeed. So on that controversial... Let's... Avoiding that controversial (laughs) potential subject, let's, uh, let's read out some tweets... So we've had a good number in this week. Uh, as ever, it's at Finn Wellbeing. If you'd like to send us your thoughts about anything to do with anything that we've talked about or indeed anything else that strikes you as being relevant. This time we've asked them for examples of best and worst investments over the years. What have you got, Chris? Well, we had Ruth Rosengren, who is at Ruth STP, one of our American listeners. And she said the best investment she made was a condo purchased in foreclosure. However, her worst was a car that cost 4000 and then needed 4000 in repairs and had to junk it. Painful, she says. Yes, I think we've all been there. Uh, Lee Ann of Align Consultancy, which is at Align Limited. Best investment was our dog. Broke all the sensible rules about purchasing a puppy, doggy daycare, organic raw food, pounds, 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 pounds. Well, yeah, she might have done that wrong, but dogs are great. I know you've got a dog, I've got a dog, and they do cost money. But actually, the emotional love and support you get in investing in a dog, I think you can't necessarily apply normal uh, financial conditions to that because of the well-being that they bring you. Absolutely. My wife would be... There's our dog in the back garden barking (laughs) right on Kim. She heard us talking about her. Don't talk about me as if I wasn't here. <laughs> when uh, my wife suggested we get a dog, I was not interested at all. I was not for it. But um, Luna's lovely, and I wouldn't. Be you are, to... Chris. You are not alone in that. I several mates like you. And, oh, I don't want a dog. And then they all go. Oh, I love my dog. <laughs> I love my dog. Wouldn't be without my dog. Yeah, it's true. I admit it now. Yeah, I later found out that the dog's name is George the Cockapoo. And Leanne says he's a best decision ever. So a big shout out to George the Cockapoo. Well done, George. So uh, Peter Adcock, at Peter J. Adcock, he says, not sure I should tell you, but he's going to go on and do it. That's because Peter is a financial planner himself. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure I should tell you, but magic moments, PLC, on a tip from a client. Bought £1,000, sold for £71. <laughs> See, showing that Peter's a good financial planner, he only spent £1,000 on it because he realised it was a high-risk investment. Well, strangely enough, off-air, between uh, the recording of the podcast, I was chatting with Tomo about uh, money that we've spent that we might perhaps have uh, regretted. There was a time when my late wife, Dinah, and I, and we'd got a bequest of, I think it was about £5,000. It was money that came from nowhere that we weren't expecting. So we registered with this company of, of, of flyboys up in London who were, said, oh, yeah, well, we'll quadruple, well, you know, well, you're going to make so much money on this. Every morning at eight o'clock in the morning, some young Turk in an office in the city would ring up and, and just talk nonsense down the phone at me. Go, well, we've got this thing. So we go short. We're going to, I reckon if you put, you know, 500 pounds into that. And so, 
And I would just go, yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever. In the space of two months, all our money was gone. And, and I never, ever had a clue what it was that we were doing. But I just went along with it because Diana had said, oh, no, this is great. And then I was persuaded by these young people talking down the phone to me that it was great. And then all our money went. There's a lesson in that which is very simple. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. Yeah, and it was. We also have a tweet from the always pithy at London Money FS, Martin Stewart. Uh, and his answer to the question of his best and worst investments decision is marriage for both. Oh, I don't want to be around when his wife hears that. <laughs> don't... David, let us refrain from any comment whatsoever okay, at that point. A great line from Clive Waller, at Clive Waller, who says that investing should be the most boring way of hitting goals with minimum risk. Yeah, we like that. Clive's an industry commentator, and that's a really, really good way of summing it up, I think. Um, you see incredibly wealthy people taking massive investment risk. You think, well, why? To what end? You know. And then the last one is actually not a tweet. It's a comment from a friend of mine. Oh, I thought it would be worth just repeating this. Uh, Jeff Cole's an accountant, um, a very bright guy, good mate. And when I was uh, having lunch with him last week, he made a great comment. He said, of all the substances that make up our lives, only one of them is finite. And it's not money, it's time. So just make sure you run out of time before you run out of <laughs> <Yeah>. money. <laughs> that's, that's Dave Lloyd's advice for the future. That's good, I like that. They run might... out of time before you run out of money. I might put that on a meme. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to listen to Carl Richards. Um, we've heard him on a previous podcast. Um, a very interesting chap. Carl um, runs a podcast called Behaviour Gap Radio. That's behaviour with the American way without a U. It's aimed at financial advisors, really, but there's loads of good stuff in there that people will listen to. He's got two books out, The Behaviour Gap and The One-Page Financial Plan. And he's seen in the financial planning world as a real leading light of the new way of thinking about money. So let's have a listen to what he's got to say about how humans invest. Carl, could you talk to me a little bit about investment strategies? Because I know you've got some strong views on that. Yeah, I mean, look, the biggest dilemma we have around investing is we don't know what it is. And when we talk about the investing public not knowing what it is, I want to be really clear. That is, I do not mean that in a sort of superior sense. It, it's really hard to figure out what it means to invest these days because the financial pornography network and the sort of financial pornography industry has it completely wrong, right? So everything we... Just a second there. If I'm sorry to interrupt, but financial pornography, I know what you mean by that. And you mean financial entertainment. There's another phrase you use. Can you describe for our listeners examples of financial pornography, financial entertainment? Yeah, just go, go, to, the, go to the magazine stand and look in the business section, particularly the investment, quote-unquote, investment books, or investment magazines, and just look at the cover. Like when something says 10 hot stocks you need to own now... That sounds a lot like, just look, well, actually don't look, but just there's a section nearby that might use similar words that, you know, anytime it says sizzle and hot and, you know, like, look, just <laughs> that's the financial pornography industry. Yeah. There is a financial pornography network. You probably have it in the UK. It's, it, there's a guy on there that yells things about buying and selling things like they're circus clowns. There's the whole thing. It's like, it is entertainment. Like that's another way to think of it. I, there's not very much that's not financial pornography that you're going to see on the newsstand, to be honest. Um, and in our, over here, we have a, a bugbear for a lot of financial advisors. Is the, the news will say £6 billion are wiped off the value of shares today in the stock market, as if that's news. 
Well, and then they go on, Chris, to give you an explanation, right? No. Because of this, this, and this, right? Yeah. Which is sort yeah, maybe, maybe if we're lucky, but they never yeah, say yeah. anything the next day if it's gone back up again. Yeah, that's not news. It's all, it's all, it's all crazy. So that, so there's a big difference between investing and speculating, and and there's also a big difference between investing and entertainment, and they're all fine. Right? There's no moral kind of right or wrong where the big mistake is when you think you're doing one and you're actually engaged in the other. So you just need to be clear about it. If you're investing as entertainment, then we need to call it entertainment. There is, it turns out there is sort of a science. Think of investing as buying something at a certain value and holding on to it for a long time in anticipation of that value increasing. The easy way to, to differentiate that from speculating could be buying something at a certain price and anticipating over the sh a short period of time that that price will change, whether you bet that it will go up or down, right? And you would use words like bet on that side. Now, entertainment is a slightly different form. It's like Investing is diversified. Entertainment and speculating is non-diversified. Like there's some basic principles that define investing. Holding onto things for a long time. If, if it's exciting, it's probably not investing. Does that mean investing is lower risk than speculating? If done correctly, for sure. It doesn't mean it's not risky. It yeah. just means it's less risk than speculating. Um, I also think it's, you know, investing is short-term boring, long-term exciting. So speculating is often short-term exciting, long-term really disappointing. Um, and so I think if you understand the differences there, the goal would be to separate those out. It doesn't mean you can't still find invest, the investment news and the market news entertaining. It doesn't mean you can't still read it. I find most people, once they understand the difference, and once they get detoxed from the financial pornography, have better forms of entertainment. Yeah. Right? I've got a friend, this is the last little story. I've got a friend, his name's Matt. He works with a client, his name's Rick. Rick was completely addicted to financial pornography. Rick started working with Matt. After Matt helped him detox, it was like a period of 12 to 18 months where Rick slowly learned like, oh, that doesn't matter anymore. I don't have to listen to the news. Rick went back and calculated how much time he had saved once he stopped was four hours a week. Four hours a week is over 200 hours a year. Yeah, it's something like two full awake weeks a year that Matt gave Rick back. That's pretty cool. I made no difference to his financial situation at all. Uh, bettered it, right? <laughs> yeah. Bettered it. It's one of the only places, if done right, you get rewarded for being lazy. <laughs> like, how, how about this? How about this? This is the last thing. My favorite quote from Warren Buffett. This is the arguably the best investor of all time, right? The hallmark of our investment process is benign neglect bordering on sloth. So if, if, if you're, the way you're investing doesn't, if that doesn't resonate with you, you're like, whoa, Jesus, a lot of hard, something's wrong. Like, and, and figure it out. Carl, I could talk to you for hours on this stuff, but uh, we've used up half an hour, which is all I said to myself I was going to use of you. So um, I guess people just have to listen to your own stuff to get the rest of all the th of your thoughts, wouldn't they? 
yeah, that's it's been super fun. I could I, we we could talk about this forever. Is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners about before we go? Yeah, uh, just I mean, look, I'm getting more and more convinced that we the the solution. It, it feels to me like the reason I'm still engaged in this work is it doesn't feel to me like it's getting much better. It doesn't feel to me based on the emails I'm getting and the stuff we're seeing going on around the world that people are feeling more secure, um, that people are making better decisions with their money. And, and I just want to emphasize two things. One, making decisions with your own money is hard. It's really hard for me. I'm super good at making decisions with other people's money. I'm not so good at seeing my own blind spots. And so realize that struggling with money is part of the human experience. And then number two, it can indeed get better. So we, we've got to, I, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the big kind of solution to all of this is just simply starting to pay attention. Just notice like how you're spending your money. Just notice it. Don't, no, 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 you don't need to judge it. Just my favorite word with this is like interesting, right? Oh, interesting. Like, look, did you notice? Pretend like you're your own lab experiment. The same thing with investing. Like if you start to feel anxious, worried, concerned, just take long enough to go, oh, interesting. Like notice how I'm feeling about that right? And then that will naturally lead you to another path, right? And we, I just think if we could just break it down to that point, like just notice your interactions with money, um, we have a shot at making a difference. If we don't, we're just going to keep doing the same thing we've always done. And that's going to give us the same result we've always gotten. I have an opinion on why I think things aren't really changing. And it's to do with the fact that we're battling the media, this financial pornography. It's there because it sells stuff. You know, success equals wealth for many, many people. And yet for us, I think you would agree with this, that success is about freedom of time, about doing the things in life you want to do and so forth. It's not about how big your pot is, but that's the message that is constantly given out in the media. And that's what we're battling against. Yeah, it's a real challenge, right? That's the message we're constantly getting in the media is because that's the reason we all buy the media. Like it's, it's, we're, we're getting exactly what we want. But I think I am optimistic that there is an awakening happening, right? That, that we've sort of, we've done this sort of pendulum swing out here. You know, I, I think of the last decade as the like crush it decade, right? Like the hustle, 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 like make money, like all, that's all we ever heard of. Startup, incubator, you know, like all of that stuff. I'm hoping we're going to swing back a little bit. Like I've been engaged in more conversations recently around what is this all for? You know, who can I trust? Why am I doing this? I've been engaged in more of those conversations lately than I have ever at any time in my career. And I, I, I hear them more often at the coffee shop. So I'm hoping that one by one, we can be having those conversations where we can say, you know, it turns out that definition I thought we all had of wealth, you know, competition, having more than our neighbor, it turns out that's not equaling happiness. And then, then look, there's plenty written about what does, like what to do from that moment on. But let's first get to that moment where we just go, hmm, why? We start just asking why a little bit more. 
Um, and I, I'm optimistic that's going to happen. And I, with people doing the work like you're doing, Chris, like that will get us there. So let me just end by telling you, thank you for the generous work that you do and the difference that you're making. It's not easy to do. Um, and it's not easy to do in a way that people will listen to. And so thanks for the hard work and generous work you're doing. That's most kind, Carl. I really appreciate your time with us today. Thank you. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Cheers. Well, fascinating as ever to hear Carl chat. He really talks in a very um, engaging and animated way about finance. It's very easy to listen to. He's thought about this stuff a lot. He has. And he's a bright guy. There was one thing that he said there that really rang true with me. Um, and he talked about the difference between investing and speculating and investing and entertainment. And I was straight away reminded uh, of uh, something that happened to me uh, just a few years ago. I was in Las Vegas with my son, Nick, uh, and we were in the casino of the Wynn Hotel uh, and we thought, right, we're going to hit the slots. We're going to gamble. We're going to have some fun. We're going to enjoy this. We're going to enjoy the possibility we might make $20,000, but actually we're not going to put ourselves in a position where we're going to lose more money than we can afford. So we put $50 each into a kitty and we had hours and hours and hours of great fun, free drinks in the casino, You'd lose some money, but then you'd win $150. And you'd go, oh, that's good, that's good. But actually, we'd spent $100. We'd had a fantastic six, seven hours. And that, for me, was money well spent. But it was not investment, it was entertainment. And the really important point that Carl makes there is that you knew that it was entertainment. Mm. The danger is so many people think that what happens to their investments and looking after them, day trading, whatever it might be, they think that they're investing. They think they're thinking of the long term, but they're not. They're actually day trading. They're actually looking at market timings and all this stuff, which bluntly is a bit of a mugs game for unless you're really an expert, you know what you're doing. And the biggest expert in the entire world, um, even he says that, that being a sloth is the best thing that you can do for investment. Yeah, if it's but, exciting, it's probably not investing. Yeah, yeah. That and, really rang home to me as but well. But I would take you back to the idea of, uh, of risk. There's um, a golfer called Paul Casey who played in the Ryder Cup. Um, one particular year, they went to all of the players in both teams and asked them for one tip. And Paul Casey uh, took this very seriously, I remember. All the others just came out with something very quick. He took it very seriously. And eventually he said, right, I've got it. Don't play a shot that makes your heartbeat increase. Now, that's a great golfing tip. It's a great investment tip as well. On that note, I think we'll leave it. So it's been, again, really interesting to chat to you, Chris. Thanks for Tom Morris, our producer here, for his little input. Thanks to Luna for the little bark she's given in the background. Uh, and we'll see you back here again at some point in the indeterminate future for another Financial Wellbeing podcast. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. I took her to a supermarket. I don't know why, but I had to start it somewhere, so it started there. 
I said, pretend you've got no money. She just laughed and said, oh, you're so funny. I said, yeah, well, I can't see anyone else smiling in here. <laughs>